0: Greetings, greetings, greetings! Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Ted Talks. Uh, you may have noticed, or maybe not. You know, the fan mail has stopped. I don't know what's going on. Maybe it's maybe it's COVID. Maybe the postman's taking my fan mail. Uh, I haven't done Wednesday episodes for ages, and I made a commitment, and I I literally have never broken it apart from now. Maybe once or twice during lockdown when I decided. I've always had Wednesday episodes, interviews with people, and I have just been so busy planning a wedding, which is probably. Not going to happen this year anyway. Um, moving into a rental property uh, in the countryside. When I say countryside, the neighbors have chickens. Like, I'm talking single track lanes. I love it. The car is always filthy, but I love it. Uh, Grey mats don't really go with the countryside. So, obviously, I had to get the rubber things. Um, but yeah, I've been so busy doing all that stuff. I'll do another podcast on it. Anyway, this podcast today is with Natasha Friend. And we talk about. What I love, which is bite-a-lets single let vanilla di latte, lovely bitelets, uh, and some flips, some flips with a fifty grand plus profit in Peterborough. So, you know, that's a lot of profit. We also speak about agent relationships, how some of these houses she's bought a house had squatters in, in the house and in a shed, which they never saw because the garden was so overgrown. We speak about the realities of BRR, the management, you know, a few hours a month, for example, uh, how she's found investors and how you can find investors too, and just a general chit chat really about various different topics in property, in particular about BRR single lets and talking about the the bridge to let product, etc, etc. This was a really interesting podcast, especially if you're considering or if you're doing BRR buy to lets. Hey everyone, I actually have a book coming out. It's being released hopefully 1st of November. Don't hold me to this because it will be my usual late timing, but it is almost nearly done. I've got a few other little bits I'm launching with it. Um, So so watch out for those. But to get on the waiting list, please DM me, send me an email. The book is coming up very, very soon. It's going to cover everything. I think it's going to upset some course providers because it's going to cover so much. welcome to the Tej Talks podcast
1: hello thank you for having me
0: thank you for coming on you know we were just saying off (laughs) air I've been like following your posts on Facebook for a long long time and I've always thought wow (laughs) some of these figures some of these interiors I was just like damn that is nice I'm gonna screenshot that for for my own (laughs) because like I really really liked it and yeah I don't know why it's taken me so long um to reach out but I'm, I'm super glad to have you here because you're a big fan of the BRR strategy um, yeah. and I do that as well and I think it's a fantastic strategy, loads of people do it and want to do it. So before we get into that and we talk about some of the figures on your deals and kind of what you're doing and how you're doing it, like what were you doing pre-property?
1: um so i worked for a high street bank um actually ex mortgage advisor um but worked at the high street bank for 11 years doing numerous different roles um i became an accidental landlord in 2014 because we bought our house literally just before the house prices came crashing down um in 2008 so when we came to look to move um, we were still actually in negative equity because it was back in the days when you could sort of get a 95% mortgage and add all the fees and everything on top. <laughs> so it worked out. We had about 2% equity in our property when we bought it. Um, completely young and naive, so didn't understand the risks or anything at all. Um, so, yeah, was an accidental landlord from 2014 and just really wanted my own business, especially having after having my daughter. She's now eight. But when she um, started going to school and having to fit like your 20 odd days annual leave that you're entitled to from work around all the school holidays. It's just an absolute nightmare. So for me, it was more the freedom as to why I got into property.
0: Mm, I see. Interesting. And, you know, that experience as an accidental landlord, was it a positive one?
1: Yeah, it was, to be fair. We had um, a couple of different sets of friends moving the property, so never had any issues. Um, We could see that the house that the that price was starting to recover um, and we went sort of no longer in, equ- in negative equity So just kept the property. And yeah, we've still got it now. Still went to out to a different set of friends. Um, yeah, oh. never had any issues, touch wood. Oh.
0: And I think that's <laughs> kind of maybe one of the, the benefits, actually, of is it a single let? Yeah, that's one of the potential benefits of a single let is the lack of management, which is a wonderful thing, I think, when you when you get it right. But so what made you apart from being an accidental landlord, you know, obviously, there's 101 businesses you could start. Why property in particular?
1: Um. Well, it was just a bit of a fluke, really. My, fr- my friend, Khadija, she'd just set up her cleaning business and was telling me about this Life Leverage book by Mr. Rob Moore um, and how it sort of changed her life. And I need to go buy this book. It's amazing. So I went on to Amazon, put the book in, and then a property one came up next to it by the same guy um, and bought that instead of the Life Leverage one <laughs> that she was telling me to buy. And. Um, and I think even as a mortgage advisor, learning about the buy, refurbish, refinance model and how you can sort of recycle your cash really did actually blow my mind because I thought the only way you could do it was to sort of have a really good job, save up money for a deposit, buy a buy to let and then go again or have a really successful business and do the same thing. So once I discovered the buy, refurbish, refinance model, I was you know, sort of hooked from there really, went on to do, um, sort of as much free training as I possibly could. So I listened to podcasts, did all the free events, read every book I possibly could about property um, and sort of tried to get into it myself without any formal training or education. And that didn't go so well. Um, (laughs) I managed to buy sort of one property in the first probably nine months I actually gave it a go for and then I went on to do my proper education with Progressive. I did the masterclass in March last year and the VIP, joined their VIP program in May. Um, and yeah, just excelled from there. I gave myself, uh, I took a 12 month career break from my corporate job because I didn't want to just completely commit to going into property. I was quite nervous, um, never been self employed, always sort of been a pay, paid employee. Um, So I took a 12-month career break and gave myself 12 months to replace my income through property, which I did, and then handed in my resignation in December last year.
0: Wow, congratulations. Okay, so, you you know, after you did your education, you set yourself sort of, uh, you know, did, did you set yourself goals and a plan? Like, what was your strategy? Because, you know, when people start out, they say, oh, should I do this, should I do that? Obviously, you'd read about BRR, but how did you know... You know, how many houses you wanted to buy? How did you set your goals?
1: Um, so sort of worked backwards from replacing my income, working out the average how much uh, single let in our area in Peterborough would cash flow net per month, and then divided that by how many properties we needed. So um, I didn't have a massive income. It wasn't a, a double-figure number of properties that we needed to buy, but still starting out as quite a newbie with no relationships with agents or investors, et cetera. It was quite a a tough challenge, but we managed to do it.
0: Mm. And, you know, that kind of starting out phase, I guess you could call it. Um, how long did it take before, you know, I don't know, like agents would sort of come to you with deals? Or how long would it take before you think, you know, the agents, you know, had a relationship with? Because I think people think it happens quicker than it does.
1: Yeah, no, definitely not. Probably... At least three months, I'd say, of being really consistent and reaching out. Um, I sort of messaged every single person I knew who was an estate agent, whether I knew them through school or friends of friends, et cetera. Tried to work on those existing sort of connections and then went and visited the new agents and started to build connections from them. Um, Yeah, at least three months, I would say.
0: I think that's important to share because, you know, working with agents can be frustrating however many months in you are. But that first bit where people look at other people and say, oh, how come she's getting deals, you know, off market? How come he's doing this? And it's because you, you said it there consistently. You've consistently been talking to, engaging with, getting your face in front of these people, using your networking connections to build it. And even then, it still took three months. So actually it's not a long long game but you know three months is a while to be like consistently hey have you got any deals hey can you know so just people listening it it does take you know that long to to get into things so let's talk about your first deal so maybe not the one you did um in those nine months but as soon as you had your education you had your gold you were you know maybe more on target like you were raring to go what was your first deal
1: um, so it was a BRR single let. Um, it was, we because of how long it was taking and how frustrated I was getting um, going and viewing these agents and putting in all the offers, we reduced our um, sort of deal criteria to enable us to pull 50% of our money back out. That was our sort of target, just because I wanted to get my next sort of deal and start building um relationships. It was a specific agent that has exactly this the types of properties that we focus on and target our marketing towards. Um, so I was quite happy to do that. And we the way I started was by selling my car um and refinanced our residential house to get a small pot. So it was our own pot of money that we were going to be leaving in the deal. Um, so yeah, it was a property that had gone on and off the market twice and now the vendors were, were really desperate to sell because they were at risk of losing their property that they were moving on to um so it wasn't the best deal but we purchased the property for one hundred thirty-five thousand pounds even though i'd already had my education we still do, done a lot of the work ourselves so they teach you <laughs> not to do any of the work to outsource it um but because we were trying to sort of save costs because it wasn't the best deal I was there sort of painting the walls, stripping the wallpaper, doing all of that, what I could do myself, um, and the the refurb, was was, the costs were very minimal, it was just a new kitchen, uh, white walls, grey carpet, etc, so it was just over £5,000 in refurbishment costs, Um, and then we had it valued six months later, so again, I'd done something else, which we'll probably (laughs) That they tell you not to do is I bought with the buy to let mortgage but I brokers are going ins- crazy right now yeah <laughs> <laughs> I ensured that it was a lender that would allow us to do a further advance in six months time so that's not a complete no-no mm. um, and because of the amount of work that was required it wasn't a massive amount so we didn't actually have any issues in doing that um, but yeah, the, the, there's, there's a few mistakes there already that I've covered off of doing the work yourself and buying it with a buy-to-let mortgage. So, you know, what, um, just just
0: going back a little bit there, because you said it very casually, you said, I sold my car and I remortgaged my house. Um, yeah. those, for say, a lot of people are probably not as casual as you kind of said it. So like, how was the, cause a lot of people ask this, they say, look, should I, you know, remortgage my house? We've got equity. We've had it for X many years, et cetera, et cetera. You know how? What was your thought process around that? Because it's obviously more debt, but it is cheap and it is a mortgage. You know, it's kind of good in a sense. But was it an easy decision for you?
1: Yeah, no, definitely because of, what, of the reasons you've just said. Um, I don't see any sort of risk in refinancing your property. I mean, the maximum you can generally go up to is 80 percent loan to value when you're doing a further advance on a residential. So there's still a significant amount of equity there compared to when we bought our first property in 2008 um and you can just work out that money that we pulled out of the property yeah it may have cost us an extra 100 pounds per month um on the mortgage but then we're generating just from one property 300 pounds per month cash flow um so yeah it was a complete no-brainer
0: to me and what about selling the car was that an easy thing as well
1: that's probably more difficult because I really (laughs) liked my car (laughs) and I'd only had it for six months um but once I'd sort of started to educate myself and learn about um investing in assets and then leasing liabilities it was sort of a very sensible business decision to sell the car and now I lease the car just as nice and sort of one of our houses pays for that each month
0: Mm. and you know would you would you say because I think it's easy for the courses and just generally people to say, yeah, in your first house you put in zero money, all investor funded. You didn't do that. I didn't do that. And a no. lot of people haven't done that. Do you think an investor, I mean, obviously there's always someone who will, but generally speaking, if someone's listening and it's their first property, should they go for an investor or should they try and use as much of their own money as possible on that first one?
1: I would always say, like the first one or two deals, try and do yourself. So then you've got a proven record and something to show to your investors, especially if they're not going to be sort of family or friend investors. If you're looking to build relationships with brand new people and work on a sort of investor, private investor relationship, um, it's not someone that already knows, likes and trusts you or a member of your family or friends. It's going to be very, very difficult to find someone with no um sort of proven record or experience to, to back them up and to find an investor, I think that would take a significant amount of time. Um so if you've got the the capacity to be able to raise funds, even just to do one project yourself, um, I'd definitely say do try that route first because it will speed things up when you are then looking at working with investors.
0: Mm, absolutely. The, the second you have that first one, first two, and you've got a case study, I found yeah. it, it just opened. um It just opened the doors. So, speaking of mistakes and challenges, because we love talking about those, uh, <laughs> I love how upfront you were about that. So, you did work on the houses yourselves. Are you tradespeople as well, part time? uh
1: No, I'm not. My my partner is. So he's got a flooring company. Um, which obviously helps with the flooring side of things, but yeah, no, we don't. I don't get my hands dirty at all anymore, <laughs> which is nice. It was probably the first three properties that we were sort of physically painting the houses. Um, yeah. Did, and did it, it well. save
0: you? I mean, it would have saved you money, of course, like directly. But do you think, in the bigger picture of that house and your time, did it save you money?
1: No, probably not
0: that's interesting isn't it? because we, yeah. we, we think it will but it's, it's like what's your hourly rate right how much could you pay a painter 15 20 quid an hour but you know your hourly rate is potentially double or triple that um yeah out of interest yeah. when, when you were doing this and you went back to the mastermind and you kind of said oh we did the reefer by self ourselves what did they say um
1: well just like what you were saying, still. I need to focus my time and energy on more income generating tasks um, and outsource as much as I possibly can, Um, which I sort of knew from the books, but it was still, yeah, I don't know. I don't know why we've done it. I can't really put my finger on it, but it did save quite a bit of money. We were starting out. I don't know if we just wanted to prove it to ourselves that we could physically do it. I don't know. But yeah, no, but I will will never strip a wall, wall <laughs> of wallpaper <laughs> or pa- get a paintbrush in my hand to get <laughs>
0: stripping wallpaper is definitely not fun. Oh my
1: god, so. it's painful!
0: <laughs> it's, it's just horrible, like, and it's so I'm surprised there's not a better way to do it. Like it's so slow, and the little tool is so small. I know. And, oh god, wallpaper! So. You know with this first deal, did it uh did it sort of work out how you expected in terms of did you get the further advance you wanted? did it rent for what you wanted, and what was the outcome?
1: Yeah, no, it was actually really good so we the rent was higher than what I anticipated. We get seven hundred and seventy five pounds per month on that property, and then we refinanced within the six months at an eighty percent loan to value mortgage um so we got a mortgage total mortgage of 132,000 so it was just over 12,000 with all the sort of fees and costs that we left in the property which um i would be quite happy with now to be fair hmm.
0: and when you're looking at deals what because obviously there's yield there's gross yield there's net this there's bl- bl- there's so many there's return on cash employed return on cash left in for you what is like a the real kind of um black and white sort of indication of this is a good deal. Is there one?
1: Um yeah, there is. The way that we sort of focus on is any money left in is repaid within the next two years. So I think that means the return on capital employed would be fifty percent. Um but I'm not a massive detailed person if I'm honest. <laughs> I try and get a gross yield of seven of percent or as close to it as possible. Um, but it's just really looking at how much money we're leaving in that property. If we if we can get a property that we leave no money in and the gross yield's only six percent, I would still plus that as a deal. Um,
0: mm. I think that, so, yeah. I think that's really important because I I understand yield and I never find I just never find it relevant because I'm always like kind of what you just said there, which is look how much are we leaving in? That's our actual yeah. investment, you know, over the next twenty years. And Definitely. what we getting back on it? So I think, yeah, roast or return on cash left in and return on cash employed yeah. is super important. Now, once you did this first deal, it all went well. You, you got the kind of uplift you wanted. It rented for what you wanted or more. Um, yeah. What did you do after that?
1: Um, so then they seemed to come like buses,
0: which <laughs> was quite good. And this is what I
1: always say, getting that first deal over the line is, the Most difficult part, and then once you've got that, it seems to sort of scale a lot quicker. I don't know if it's the confidence you get from doing that first deal, um, enables you to sort of grow and, and build better relationships with agents going forward. But yeah, so just continued to really focus on um, securing more buy, refurbish, refinance deals. I did have a little spell where I was sort of getting distracted by the shiny penny. Um, <laughs> looking at HMOs, plots of land, like literally everything, and then got reined back in by my mentor. Um, so for the next sort of six months, I exclusively only looked at by refurbished refinance, single-let deals in Peterborough.
0: Mm. Okay, I, w- I want to touch on that in a second. But actually, just thinking back there, um, you said for this first deal, you lowered your expectations on your you know return on investment to yeah. get that deal in get on the kind of ladder as such and also to show the agent oh look I have money so how about you yeah. give me some more deals <laughs> right like it's that yeah it, it takes like that deal isn't it for them to be like oh they're serious okay She's serious yeah I'm yeah. <laughs> um, just got to spend 100 grand or so and then then they believe you but... <laughs> yeah. um, so would you recommend for most people that I guess it depends on personal circumstance, but one of the rules maybe that people talk about is never make a deal fit or never you know change your requirements but would you say that there needs to be some flex there especially for the first one
1: yeah definitely but like you said depends on personal circumstances and whether it's actually your own money you're leaving in or if you are working with an investor for your first deal you need to have that conversation up front as to how much money they'd be comfortable leaving in the deal and how you're going to repay it, etc. But, yeah, I think if people are starting out looking for their first deal, looking for these unicorn deals, which are amazing but really hard to come by, um, it's going to take you a long, long time to to secure that first deal. Because, like you said, you need to sort of prove yourself to the agents. You need to prove that you are going to actually purchase this property you're offering on. You are going to follow through and complete on it and... To do what you say you're going to do once you've proven that they they will sort of bring you a lot more more deals and be a lot more comfortable working with you
0: mm, I think it's literally putting your money where your mouth is and they follow that yeah to the letter um where so I think it's like yeah one of those things where you know I've done that before where and it wasn't my first deal I've done it before on my I don't know seventh deal where I was like you know what this agent always, like you said, has these shitholes, basically, one yeah. <laughs> And I was like, you know what? Forget it. Like, I'll keep in five grand more because I know what it's going to get me. Um, But I guess you have to have the confidence, right, to do that. It's quite tricky on your first one when everyone's saying, no, you have to have minimum, you know, whatever percent ROI. You know, it takes a bit of confidence, I suppose, from, from your end to, to do that, and to change that.
1: Yeah, I think so. And I think it was sort of a conversation I remember having with my mentor was how how do you want to to find a deal quicker what are you prepared to sacrifice on um and yeah it was a sort of return on on capital and how much money we were leaving in the deal but like i said it worked out better than what we anticipated
0: that makes Um, sense and um so obviously following that they came like buses which is amazing i love it when that happens (laughs) And, and you know when people start out they don't necessarily believe it it just doesn't sound realistic but sometimes it does and you're like oh I've got this many right now like oh where's that where did that fourth one come from but you know, <laughs> it's kind of it happens and then it kind of yeah it can sometimes spiral oh we need money we need deals we need this we need and it's it's crazy so you know with the next few properties maybe talk me through I don't know like what were some of the challenges you faced on the next Sort of properties, and it could be anything. Could be like your mental health. Could be the actual properties themselves. Could be anything. But talk me through some of the challenges.
1: Um, so the the next couple of ones were probably a lot bigger projects than what we'd done before. There was a lot more work required, uh, and so a lot more time was taken to sort of estimate the refurbishment costs um, and get quotes from tradesmen and. Um, contractors that we use yeah that that was probably quite a big challenge going from a refurb which was just literally decorating in a new kitchen to then needing to uh, install brand new boilers windows um yeah just literally completely gutting and re um it was also the first time that I'd used uh bridging finance on the second property on the yeah well not the second one but the second one since I'd been educated and yeah that was probably quite a bit of a a challenge. Talk talk to Um, us about
0: that then because a lot of people (laughs) are um, scared of bridging or they say oh god it's so expensive it's it's prohibitive you know but I think it's a fantastic thing when it's done right but talk us through your experiences.
1: Yeah I mean it's definitely there and serves the purpose for enabling you to complete on these sorts of deals. We try not to use Bridging Finance now and just work with investors to buy cash, um, outright. But yeah, I think it's more, I mean, even though I was a mortgage advisor, I was an advisor, I wasn't a broker, so I'd never dealt with Bridging Finance before. Um, the costs involved and it was actually a bridge to let product that we used so the legal fees were just extortionate the the valuation fees um having the valuation for that end uh once it'd been refurbished they give you the valuation up front according to your schedule of works and that was slightly lower than what we had hoped for um and to be fair when they came back to actually do the inspection they were in the house for about 30 seconds um, so they didn't really, I don't feel like they, they valued it to what actual 2 market value was. Um, yeah, I mean, it was fine. It was painful. It took a long time to go through the conveyancing. We had to use, um, a solicitor from their panel and they were absolutely shocking. <laughs> they were awful. You could, there was no phone line and you could never get in contact with anyone, um, we, the property itself was quite complex and there was many reasons why it was un, unmortgageable because um, different lenders didn't like different things and the vendor was actually based in Jersey and then we had to get insolvency, indemnity insurance because it was deemed as being bought below market value and that was a, a plus actually it was valued a lot higher than what we paid for it I can't remember the exact figures, but we paid 115,000. I think it was valued around 127 or something like that. So we didn't have to, we only had to put um, the deposit down, which works out about 30% with all the fees um, based on the actual value it was valued at. So that saved us having to put as much money down.
0: I think this is something that, like, so this Bridge to Let product, essentially, what is it? How would you summarise it if people have never heard of it?
1: Um, So you you get bridging Finance up front to purchase the property. So it just means you can purchase a property that is unmortgageable in its current condition. And then it goes straight on to a uh, Buy to Let product. So you choose, well, not choose, you you sort of arrange your, your Buy to Let product in advance. You have the end valuation in advance. Um yeah, and the sort of solicitor deals with the whole transaction. So as soon as the refurbishment's complete, you then arrange for the um inspection to the valuation to happen. Um they come back, check that they're happy with the value that they gave you up front, and then yeah, move it onto a buy to let mortgage. So it's good because there's no risk of not being able to have an exit in place um you've got that sort of already lined up and already underwritten with the lender Mm. Um,
0: i think you know what it's it's a great product but i only found out like a few months ago that whilst they do underwrite the final mortgage offer they can still pull it and withdraw it if they feel like it or if covid happens or if the valuer says anything so they kind yeah. Of, yeah, they present it like it's secure and the exit safer, which, it, you know, it probably is. Like, I'm, I'm sure it is. But as always, the small print says, well, you do what the hell you like. Um, yeah. And you know what? It's, it's interesting because all those problems you had with it are kind of the problems I hear from, like, so many people about this product. Have you since used bridging like a pure bridge? No. I think with pure bridging, it's a little bit, you know, they'll give you money... As long as you give them the first charge, they'll give you money. It doesn't matter what the state is, anything like that. I found generally, they're pretty much like, here's the money, you know, give us the security and here's the money. Whereas the kind of bridge to let is maybe a little bit trickier.
1: So yeah, that sort of put me off. So now we just just buy cash.
0: (laughs) I mean, it's, it's a lot easier and dealing with like a human investor is so much easier than dealing with bridges. Um,
1: yeah, I agree. But then I've seen a lot of brokers sort of say the opposite and how it's a lot more emotionally involved with investors and how things can go wrong, et cetera. But no, what I do bro- think What
0: do it... brokers know about investors? <laughs> they, they, they just want you to pay their fee and use them for the lenders. Yeah. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> brokers, I love you. Please, please don't hate me. Um, I, I think like, I don't know. I, I have some investors who are just, they don't give a hell. They don't care what the hell's going on. As long as they get paid their interest, they're just like, yeah, and then you got some actually no, I've never had any that are emotionally involved, so I can't see that. But speaking of investors, obviously you went from bridging, which was a challenge, but actually a positive thing, because it pushed you towards investors. Um, your first investor, how how did you find them? How did it work?
1: My first investor was actually a family member. So it's actually my dad, and he is literally the most risk adverse person ever I was absolutely shitting myself asking him I asked him through an email um and on the bottom of the email I said sorry to send this via email but I thought it'd be easier for you to say no (laughs) (laughs) and I'd like to put a deal pack together and an investor pack and send everything over and yeah he was our first investor which I'm still amazed to this day to be fair
0: (laughs) wow okay and then let's go to and actually sorry before we move on um that's important right because family members and friends and people who like you did you think would say no often have and in the case of your you know parents have known you your whole life or have known you for x many years on a personal level more than anyone you're going to meet at a networking event will ever know you to this day yeah they they will invest um like yes, it can be awkward asking, but yeah, you know you're you're a perfect case study of how it worked, right?
1: Yeah, no, definitely, it was so awkward asking. <laughs> I was so nervous, um, but actually, it's really pleased that he's done it now and he's continued to invest with us because he had did have money sat in the bank earning absolute peanuts, So now we're giving him we're giving him a slightly lower rate of return because he's family and he's happy with that but he's getting 6% compared to one or whatever he was getting in his bank account.
0: Mm, I mean, well, look, there we go. You, the, the, the two things are you got him to invest or you want him to invest. And yeah. you proved to him that it was a good, it was a good thing to do. So fantastic. Now, how did you get your first non family uh, member investor someone who you didn't know before perhaps?
1: Yeah. So that was through business networking events. So I, uh, joined a few different networking events um, and tried to focus mainly on business and property uh, just so I could sort of be the the only property person in the room um, and it wasn't actually someone in the networking room it was someone's ex-partner who they knew were getting a significant amount of money from a company um I've still never met her. We've had a couple of telephone conversations on the phone. It did help that she had experience in property because she was an accountant and she used to be the head of finance for a property development company, so she was quite clued up around the sorts of things that we were saying, and there's so much jargon in property which I try not to use, but um, I think sometimes it just happens. But, yeah, my second investor, never met, still never met to this day. She's not interested in knowing about our projects or seeing before and after pictures. Um, She just wants one email once a month confirming everything's okay And we're on track to repay her funds when it's due. So, yeah, Mm. I still can't believe she invested either, to be fair.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I think, you know what, You you never believe it happens until the money's actually in your account. And then when it's there, you're like, oh, um, oh, like what, what does (laughs) that, like, I think even no matter how much investment you get, I think you still kind of have that same feeling of, hmm, that's pretty awesome, you know, um, and that's, you know, what you said there that you kind of, you never met, oh, you've had a few phone calls, you've had, she just wants to know, am I getting my money back, that is, I think it's important for people to hear because I don't know. Maybe there's a perception of investors where they're like, every second, what are you doing? How's the refund going? Or oh, has the skip come today? But, uh, <laughs> you know, a lot of the time they just sort of, yeah, they just completely sort of, hands off. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's why they give us the money, right? So, so you yeah. pastor, can deal with the headache. Um,
1: Definitely. And I found those, sorry, I found those sort of two different types of investors one which is, very transactional based and they're not interested at all and then another which is more sort of interested in building a, a relationship and likes to see the odd picture or video of the property i've never had anyone touch word <laughs> who's wanted sort of regular updates and to know whether the skit's been delivered or um mm. yeah anything like that which is good
0: and important there you said business networking now obviously Everyone in a property room is like you and me, looking for money. Um, Yes, you can raise money in property rooms, but going to business networking events is the most underrated, not sort of discussed a lot in property, really, really good way to raise money. Now, has social media had an impact or helped you find investors at all?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, Our newest investor we've onboarded was through social media. (laughs) um i've never met him either we are arranging to meet face to face once we complete on the on this um well he's actually funding two projects for us now which we should complete on by the end of october Um we've had numerous zoom calls again he was he's got background in property he invests himself but he's also got a pop to invest on a hands-free basis because he doesn't have the time to sort of utilize all of the funds he's got um and that actually happened by someone asked on a um, property group if anyone had a copy of a deal analyzer, um that they could share with them. And someone I sort of knew and had spoken to before, I said, yeah, send me an email, I'll, I'll ping it over. And then he messaged me as well saying, oh, could I have a copy of the deal analyzer? Oh, and by the way, I'm interested in discussing investing. And I thought, oh, he's only saying that because he wants a copy of my deal-analyzer. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Sent it over and he must have been quite impressed with uh, the analyzer. We arranged a Zoom call and then discussed a couple of projects that we were sort of negotiating offers on. And, yeah, he's now funding two projects, which is over £200,000. Um, never met him, just a Comment from a from a thread someone asking for a deal analyzer. So it is amazing the amount of people out there that have got money, and like they say, money's everywhere. Um, and yeah, you, you don't really have to know. I mean, he, he's got a good experience of property, he did want to see deal packs and comparables and a lot of information, um, which is fine because we had all of that there.
0: And yeah, wow. I think that's. That's such a good example because like social media is so powerful and you know, especially when you post your own content, you post your own tips, you kind of um build a brand around it <clears throat> but this was a deal analyzer. <laughs> this is like a this is a spreadsheet that yeah, it does indicate something about you and how much you analyze deals, but it's not it's not really you you wouldn't class it as a marketing tool, it's not an investor brochure, it's not a website. But no, no. You got two deals funded from it.
1: Yeah, he did say that I'd been on his sort of social media stalking list, <laughs> <laughs> so he'd seen a few posts that I'd done. And to be fair, I, I'm not a massive poster. Um, it's something that I do need to do more of, especially after seeing how um, how you can get investors just through social media. But um, yeah,
0: and that's another one
1: that surprised me.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's important <laughs> as well because like the fact he's been like, you you know, you've been on his stalking list that shows though that even though you aren't posting much, you're clearly, you know, showing and saying the right things and doing the right thing to then invest someone who, because he's another level of investor, right? Because he, you know, knows, okay. he, he understands, like you said, property. So therefore, it's not like you just picked up a random sort of banker who has no clue. You picked up someone like us. Who is going to scrutinize you to the nth detail? Yeah. And they still invested from social media and from obviously various touch points, but, and they haven't met you. I mean, that's uh, like, I hope people listening can understand, like, you know, the kind of how powerful it is. And, you know, you are not posting twice a day, doing this, doing that, doing that. You're posting, you know, a decent amount, but, like, look what is possible, people. Um, so, now, tell me this. Why why do you like single lets? You know, they generate, what, two, three, four hundred quid a month profit, depending where you are. You've got to get quite a few of them to, you know, have a, an impact, I suppose, or a chunk of money. Why do you like them so much?
1: Um, I think it just goes back to my reason as to why I wanted to get into property was for the freedom. And they are the most passive property strategy out there I think once you've refurbished the property especially if you're using a letting agent to manage the properties for you it is very much a a sort of set and forget um yeah and that's my main sort of focus as to why I got into property don't get me wrong I have then since been distracted and have a few essays and, (laughs) and other things going on but um Yeah, single, that's absolutely my all-time favourite strategy. And our sort of vision as a company is to really increase the standard of um, the private rental sector in Peterborough, because when you go and view properties, you can just see how such poor conditions some people live in. I recently went to view one where a lady had got a newborn baby and there was so much mould and damp in the bathroom and in one of the bedrooms, but the landlord just wouldn't pay to get it sorted. and that's. That's really concerning, That's sort of health at risk there, with, especially with a newborn baby. Um, so, yeah, we want to sort of make a positive difference to the, the rental sector and people living in, in Peterborough. And we're quite proud of the the standards that we deliver and being able to create beautiful family homes for, for our tenants where they treat it as their sort of forever home. Um, mm. Something
0: I quite like. So I think, you know, that the first thing you said there was so important. It was, it goes back to your why. And, you know, you're not doing it to create another business. You're not doing it to change bedsheets. You're doing it to have something that means you can wake up and do what the hell you like. Um, And I think uh, buy to are the best way to do that. You know, they, (laughs) let's talk about that actually. Passivity, right? Everyone says, oh, passive income doesn't exist. Then everyone else says, oh no, of course it does what are your thoughts on how passive is passive and you know how many properties have you got that are rented out and how passive or not passive has it been
1: um i think it's been yeah pretty passive to be fair um we do still do the maintenance ourselves just because we've got great relationships with contractors and get um the cost of it done significantly cheaper than what our letting agents do um but most of them have been refurbed, new boilers, new windows. There's very little maintenance at this sort of stage in our journey. Um the amount of hours we put into our current portfolio is probably like if we weren't viewing and looking for new properties and doing everything else we do, just to literally put into our current property is probably less than sort of an hour a week checking the rental income, checking when um gas safety's done due etc yeah, yeah very 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 little probably not even an hour a week probably an hour a month like in the winter when <laughs> you come in the bank account that's about it i think um,
0: i think it's the same for me um yeah it's what you said there if you get the refurb right and you maybe spend a bit extra in a new boiler you check things you snag things properly you test them then really with buy and also you've spent the time finding the right tenant and vetting and referencing there really shouldn't be any oh the light bulbs come out oh they took my cheese from the communal fridge you know <laughs> <laughs> there shouldn't be any of that right so yeah buy are awesome now am i right in saying you've done a flip as well
1: yeah so we've just sold our flip uh last friday the friday before that we got the funds um, and we've got another flip going through, which we're completing on in the next week or two.
0: Congratulations. Now, why, Thank you. why are you doing flips?
1: Um, so we've sort of incorporated it into our business plan for the next couple of years to compensate for any funds that we do leave in our buy to lets. Because we want to scale a lot quicker, um, Sort of comfortable leaving in the equivalent of two years. Uh, net income, um, in the deals, we want to be able to compensate from that free, free the flips. Um, I really didn't like s- selling my last property even <laughs> during the conveyance and I was like, Oh, should we just keep it? I mean, the yield was probably less than 5%. Um, but yeah, no, we ended up selling it because it was a, a good amount of profit that we made from the property. Um, but yeah, that's just something. One or two flips per year is our sort of goal to compensate for any funds we leave in or any funds we're paying investors back if we can't sort of pull all of their interest back out of the deal.
0: People always ask, you know, how do you, you know, what happens when you leave money? In? All these people I see, the posting, they've got money in, what about their investors? And that is exactly how you do it. I mean, there might be other ways, but that is the kind of... Yeah logical way right because you're creating cash from a flip to then yeah pay them off and it, it's it's kind of what it's one of those things where you're like oh all this profit from the flip yeah it's not mine you know it's like yeah. <laughs> you're like oh that could be something but nope it's it's in the account back out but that's the sacrifice we make to have a property generating you know 50 percent plus right yeah we deal Definitely. with it so Definitely. let's talk about your flip because you posted it on facebook right yeah. I remember. It was it was lush. It was lovely. Um I remember <laughs> okay. it because I think the kitchen there was one room I think it was a kitchen I really really liked. Like let's talk about the figures of that deal because you said the profit was quite good. Talk me through that.
1: Um so we originally agreed to purchase price of 145,000 um but it was literally as we were locking down we managed to negotiate another 5,000 off. Um but we had it uh, valued because we sort of secured the deal and hadn't quite secured the fill full investor funds. So we were looking at potentially getting bridging finance. So we had it valued by bridging lender um and they valued it at one hundred and seventy thousand in its current condition. Um we actually managed to get the remaining investor finance, so didn't use bridging finance in the end, but it was quite nice to have sort of that valuation up front anyway, um, to use when sort of speaking to investors um yes yeah, so that was an off-market deal bought from one of our uh, agent friends who we've got a really good relationship with now uh, they do a lot of sort of probate property so it was a probate property and we benefited from the stamp duty land tax relief which i believe is relief 28 i'm not 100 percent sure but I can double check, um, but we actually used a lady called Sylvia Snowling to deal with that for us. She's sort of a stamp duty expert and focuses on the developments, the developer's side of the relief rather than um, just what a solicitor would do. So There's a few loopholes you can sort of jump through, legal loopholes. Of course, of course. Um, <laughs> there was no no uh, stamp duties to pay on that, and the refurb was – just under twenty five thousand hmm. pounds
0: and that was a full um, like gut back to brick or
1: yeah yeah
0: And what condition was the house in? central when you heating
1: it? uh really poor hmm. um yeah the the uh old man had been living there we had so many cats when we were digging <laughs> up the garden there was just cat bones oh. like everywhere Um, Oh, no. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. it wasn't very pleasant. Um, There was a squatter when we went to view the house for the second viewing uh, in the property. There was a squatter in a shed that we didn't even know the shed was there because the garden was so (laughs) overgrown. Whoa. Um, Yeah, it was an absolute mess. Um, And we sort of done the whole refurb whilst we were on full lockdown, which was quite a challenge, getting materials. Um, It was quite easy to actually get the contractors there because they didn't have a lot of work and they were really grateful for the work that we could provide them. And we adhered to all the sort of social distancing rules and everything like that. Um, So we got it done quite quickly. I think it was just over six weeks. Um, But yeah, the actual getting the plaster we had to buy some plaster from ebay we had to sort of use our connections to see if any builders would lend us some whilst they were sort of on lockdown for a period of time plaster was the hardest one to be fair it was like gold dust um so yeah and then we sold it Uh, initially we sold it privately through one of our own boards which was outside the front we had so many inquiries it it is a really sought after street in Peterborough just outside the city centre and then that fell through due to the um, buyer being on furlough the lender couldn't lend the amount we he needed so we went back to the agent just because I thought look the amount of time I'm spending on doing the viewings and taking all the inquiries etc let's just negotiate a good fee with the agent and he sold it sort of a couple of days later. Wow. Uh, yeah, for two hundred and twenty six. So we dropped the price slightly. Um
0: so what are you all in for?
1: The total costs all in.
0: Yeah, so purchase fees so and refers. It's
1: about one forty for the ref twenty five. So it's about well, the holding cost, the legal fees to buy and sell the agents probably one one
0: seventy.
1: Hmm. So that's yeah.
0: I'm sure that's a nice bit of profit there.
1: Yeah, it was about fifty-five thousand, if I remember rightly. Is that normal in your
0: area and that and those kind of
1: values? No, no, they're very hard to come by. <laughs> Generally, we we aim for twenty um, percent on on all costs. Uh, so twenty percent profit. So that would have been thirty-four thousand on there. So yeah, we got a lot higher than what we anticipated. Um, but I think it was the, the power of buying it off market. Um, and with an agent we've bought a couple of properties with before. Um, the, even the probate solicitor knew us because we'd bought properties from, from them before. So
0: The power of money and the power of relationships come together to yeah. then generate more relationships and, and more, more money. money. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is a wonderful circle, right? But it takes... Yeah. It takes that effort and time at the start to put in. I mean,
1: Definitely. Yeah,
0: as much as, you know, holding houses is great when I see and I, I know this is, a, is rare. I mean, even if it was a 30 grand profit, even 25, I look at that sometimes and say, well, I can make that passive income. I'll just pay myself 200 quid a month for the next five years. <laughs> so yeah. I I like flips. I just, yeah, haven't done them right. And they've kind of messed up. So I, I saw yours <laughs> and I was like, right, this is this is how it has to be done. Um, tell us in your opinion, what is the difference in the kind of the refurb finish or spec or method from a flip to a buy to let? Do you, I personally do. Do you do them differently?
1: Yeah, we definitely have sort of a higher spec um, kitchens. So of this kitchen, we had integrated fridge freezer because it was quite a small kitchen so we wanted to ensure the space was utilised as much as possible um the bathroom we tiled the bathroom rather than using the sort of shower panelling which we do in our vitalettes to avoid the grout and the mould and etc but tiling is a much nicer higher end finish um the flooring again we'll probably use a nicer quality um better underlay to make it all squidgy under people's feet when they're walking around just l- little things really but yeah no we definitely increase the standard Um
0: I think of- with a flip you want someone to walk in and not have any problems right you want them to say yes 100% I like it yeah whereas in a, a buy to let you still do it to the same sort of thing but it's kind of it's hard to put in words without making it sound bad but it is just a a slightly lower level yeah like you said the carpet is more durable than it is soft sockets are going to be white plastic maybe not chrome so yeah that's why i like flips don't don't you like flips because you get to spend more money on the refo i love it high-end finishes Uh, yeah no
1: i do i do and that's actually probably the reason i got into essays because i wanted to do like a nicer interior design rather than just the rinse and repeat with the white walls gray carpet and sort of a gloss kitchen um but yeah yeah now i do I do like it. I just don't like selling houses, and that's the first house <laughs> I've ever sold, <laughs> and it was painful
0: <laughs> i I know what you mean when you when when you hold them and they do bring that income in every month it's yeah, when it works, yeah. it works fantastically, so um what is you know what's in the future? for Natasha what what have you got planned for I mean what are we in we're in October I don't even know what year or date it is but we're (laughs) we're somewhere in 2020 in October um you know what have you got planned for the next however long
1: yeah just our main goal is just to continue to build a portfolio that aims to get to 100 houses um I also want to set up a lettings agency in-house focusing on serving investors um, but I want that to sort of be on a hands-free basis. So I need to find a JV partner who's willing to do all the work. <laughs> and I just come up with the ideas and the houses.
0: <laughs> Sounds ideal. Get me one of them.
1: Yeah. Um, and then just to help other people sort of escape the rat race and, and get started in property. Um, something I really enjoy now. I'm quite sort of passionate about, um, now sort of freeing up a bit more time. Mm. not painting houses and stripping wallpaper myself.
0: <laughs> I was going to say you've, um, you've upgraded from a painter to a property investor yeah. now. So that was a, that was a quick promotion. Um, yeah. So <laughs> what, if you had to give three tips to people who are new in property, what would you say?
1: Um, oh, three top tips. First and foremost, get educated, especially if you're wanting to work with investors, because that will just sort of give you the confidence and knowledge to be able to approach them and have proper conversations with investors. Um, secondly, tell everyone what you do. And this is something I was quite apprehensive about at the beginning, especially sort of getting started. I had a couple of properties in my personal name, but nothing sort of in the business. So going out and attending business networking events with a business that had nothing in it or hadn't achieved anything, um, I felt quite like, an imposter but you have everyone has to start everywhere everyone has to start at some point and everyone was really sort of supportive and interested and trying to help me support and grow my property business so yeah just tell everyone and anyone what you do and how you can help them whether that be through enabling them to sell their property quickly or um getting their money working a lot harder for them on a hands-free basis just make sure you share your sort of services with everyone um and then probably finally just network as much as you possibly can, whether that's with agents or uh networking events or with investors. A lot of your time at the beginning should be spent networking um I think I've probably spent seventy percent of my time networking, whether that's just literally going in and having a cup of tea with estate agents or go into actual networking events uh, or networking on social media um yeah that's it top great, three tips
0: great tips networking is so <laughs> important especially at the start you're going to need yeah. people to, i mean people give you headaches people annoy you but they also kind of do everything else as well so you, you kind of need that balance i suppose um if you could have dinner with any two people any two God. people, dead or alive, who would you pick and
1: why? Oh, my God, that's such a hard question. <laughs> <laughs> I said there
0: will be a few curveballs. I always write curveballs
1: on the thing. Oh, um, 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 I would, I would, it's probably a boring one for everyone, but I would like to have dinner with Rob and Mark, just because they're in my area as well,
0: so based in easy, Peterborough.
1: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, I'm <laughs> Just because they obviously understand the market really well in our area. Um, yeah, I think that would be one. Oh, I'm really rubbish at these sort of questions.
0: Well, they, they're they two humans, so you, you you could have it with them separately, I suppose. Yeah,
1: yeah.
0: I'll, I'll let you off the uh, hook. That was an easy copy. Okay. <laughs> but that I'll let you off comment. the hook. Um, before we end the podcast, do you want to tell people... Um, how they can get a hold of you, maybe a little bit about what you offer um, in terms of like your education, things like that, and your social media profile, email address, whatever you want.
1: Yeah, sure. So I'm on Facebook. just my name, Natasha Friend. On Instagram, um, it's Natasha Friend underscore Property Investor. And I'm also on LinkedIn. Um, I launched a online course during lockdown to help people looking to get started in the buy, finance refinance um, module. So it's a 12-module course online which literally covers off everything from um, establishing your goldmine area to finding the deals, building relationships with agents, funding the deals. There's a property tax specialist um, doing an accountancy sort of section Um, There's a whole module on working with investors, how you find them, how you can structure your sort of um, investment and JV with the investors. It's literally anything and everything you need to know about um, the buyer refurbish refinance model and getting started or scaling by working with investors. So, yeah, that's an online course that I offer. Um, My email address is natasha at friendpropertygroup.co.uk. If anyone has any questions, feel free to fire them over. That's it. That's me.
0: Amazing. Natasha, thank you so much for coming on the Tej Talks podcast.
1: Thank you for having me. If
0: you like this podcast, connect with Tej on Facebook, LinkedIn and YouTube for more great content.